Hey friends, can't wait till Wednesdays to get your Modern Mamas fixed. Join us on Patreon. You can choose your tier and when you subscribe, you'll get bonus content, early access to retreat, first peeks at new swag, plus shout outs and even real time monthly virtual hangs with us. Visit patreon.com forward slash modern mamas podcast to check it out and support the podcast. It truly means the world to us. We are so grateful for you and for this community. I love mama. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. We are two modern mamas here to inspire empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, open minds, and joy, no matter your journey or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder and Indy Bow. I love outdoor adventure, good food, especially sourdough, and mindful movement. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I am a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. I love food, trying new things, creating art and being a perpetual learner. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. I am so excited to have a repeat guest. For those of you who've been here for the long haul, you might remember when we had Lisa Hendrickson Jack on all the way back. I just looked it up, episode 86, which was in 2018, which blows my mind. Evie was itty bitty, Indy was just a sparkle in my eye. And we are here now, jumping back on new book out, partnering with Lily Nichols, who's also been on the podcast. So many exciting things to talk about when it comes to fertility and vitality and health and wellness and and life and motherhood. We both had babies since we last spoke. So I am super excited without further ado to introduce my friend and brilliant author, Mama Lisa Henderson-Jack. She is a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. She's the author of three best-selling books, The Fifth Vital Sign, The Fertility Awareness Mastery Charting Workbook, and her most recent book, Real Food for Fertility, which she co-authored with Lily Nichols, who's an RDN. Lisa works tirelessly to debunk the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. Drawing heavily from the current scientific literature, Lisa presents an evidence-based approach to help women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between the menstrual cycle, fertility, and overall health. With well over 4 million downloads, her podcast, Fertility Friday, is the number one source for information about fertility awareness and menstrual cycle health. And we will link to all that in the show notes. But Lisa, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm really excited to dive in. Thank you so much for having me. Such a treat. So we are recording. It's, it is now January something. We're in the second week. I've lost track of the days, I think. But it's the 11th. That's right. So <laughs> as we head into this new year, I love to... I just, I love the whole idea and our listeners know of setting intentions for the new year. I'm not like a, I don't think that the dead of winter is the best time to set goals, very specific kinds of things for the whole entire year ahead, but I'm big in intention setting. And I'm curious to know, how do you feel about that? And if so, if that's something you're also on board with, have you set an intention for the year ahead and, or do you have something you're really looking forward to in 2024? How are you feeling going into the year? Well, I mean... 
all the feels for sure. As I go into this particular year, like I do most years, I do have goals and set intentions. I think anyone who is a business owner, you know, entrepreneurial, certainly that's how you you keep moving forward. So the new book is definitely part of that. That has been, you could say, a passion project that Lil, Lily and I have been working on for at least two and a half years. So we're really excited to finally get it out and just to kind of have the season that happens after <laughs> because there's a lot of things that go into it. So, for example, there's a lot of things that we've been kind of putting a little bit to the side, you know, that we can now focus on. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to running a next round of my practitioner program and and being able to focus on a few different projects within the business. But within from the family standpoint, you know, as you can imagine, writing a book and then editing and formatting and all these things take up a lot of time. So I'm also we haven't planned a specific date or anything, but once the dust settles, you know, we are planning to do some sort of family vacation and and just kind of switch up the energy this year to more, you know, family time because we just have more time freed up now that this project is finally complete. I love it. I feel like it's it's all the hard work head down and then you get to kind of celebrate. And I don't know if you guys are going to do some sort of like tour or, but it's it becomes more of the fun part where you get to come on podcasts and talk about this passion project and this like work baby that you've now kind of birthed into the world. I think that's so cool. Right on. Okay, cool. And how's it been working with Lily? I haven't seen her in ages. She used to live up here where I live now. And the timing was just poor where she moved. She left right when we moved up here, but kindred souls. And I I imagine that you guys are both just so brilliant. So I can only imagine the depth and breadth of this book. Well, Lily and I are, are just great friends. So she's a dear friend of mine. And obviously we're also colleagues and, and we, our work has so much overlap. So you know, this book came about like like a lot of things come about. You're kind of talking and, you know, this would be a great idea. And both Lily and I are kind of like just doers. So then the idea doesn't stay an idea for very long. <laughs> we both just decide to jump on it. So it really was, I always say to Lily that she is the only person on earth that I could write a book with. Uh, we're very well matched in terms of our, you know, capacity, like just... Obsession is the best word for Love research. It. Yes. Right? <laughs> and uh, I mean, we had so many citations in this book that we had to make the call to include them as a separate PDF download because there's like over 2,400. Wow. So so that just like, what, what are we going to do with 200 pages of idea, right? <laughs> yeah. But that just speaks to how well matched we are. And so, I mean, the project with two authors, it does take a little longer because there's always two people that have to kind of read through everything. And two people that have to make decisions about everything. But at the same time, it's like iron sharpens iron. So it was just incredible for Mm. us to both be able to go through each other's sections. And, you know, this book, it's not that like she wrote one part and I wrote one part. And, you know, we had our little sections that were completely separate. We were predominantly responsible for certain aspects of the book. And anyone who knows our work will kind of see like, you know, there's the, the chapter about the menstrual cycle and, you know, the chapter about using fertility word for conception, right? So there's there's certain things that you can say, okay, Lisa predominantly worked on those things. But it was truly a collaborative effort where Lily's genius is all over everything. And my, you know, I, I'm not going to say genius, but my... Yes, your genius. <laughs> Own that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You said it. Is all over everything as well. So it really, really is collaborative. And it was... We're just... I I, I, I don't want to speak for Lily, but I, I would say that we are both just absolutely thrilled that we are at the stage where it's ready to share with the world. Oh, hey there. Laura here, briefly interrupting your listening pleasure to talk protein intake. 
I've prioritized increased protein over the past few months and in turn have noticed better energy, quicker strength gains, better balanced blood sugar, improved sleep, and faster recovery, all with more energy to take on the demands of life and motherhood. And whey is one of the highest quality, most absorbable, and easiest to consume proteins out there. And Paleo Valley's whey plus colostrum is the best on the market. I add the chocolate whey to my morning coffee and the vanilla whey to my daily whipped cottage cheese bowls, making it easier than ever to get my protein needs met. Plus, they taste amazing. No added junk, easily absorbable, super delicious. And now you can save 15%. Paleo Valley is offering our Modern Mamas community an awesome deal. Just visit paleovalley.com forward slash modern mamas to save 15% site-wide. I promise you, these whey proteins are delicious, they are nourishing, and with the added benefit of colostrum, what's not to love? Check it out. Again, that's paleovalley.com forward slash modern mamas, M-O-D-E-R-N-M-A-M-A-S. Enjoy. Yes. Well, congratulations. And I'm honored to get to share it here. I'm such a fan of both your works. And I just think that it's so important. And honestly, recording with you back in 2018, you know, I had had my daughter and I learned a lot about the importance of fertility, but, and fertility awareness and this, this fifth vital sign and all that, because I was trying, you know, we wanted a baby, but in the years since, and now having had my second and I'm, we're like done barring any, mm-hmm. you know, big surprises, I, I love what I've garnered from the work that you've put out because, and this whole concept and the shift you've made, I think like societally in some ways, you know, to that it's not, we don't just want to be fertile to have babies. It's, it's a sign of our vitality and our health. And so I just, I think it's important in the world of contraception and fertility and the changes that need to happen there. And I think it's important in the, in the realm, in the world of just women's health in general and kind of owning our cycles and our periods and our fertility and our vitality in a way that, you know, I don't want my girls to grow up thinking like, oh man, my period's a burden. It's a gift. Mm -hmm. So I just think that that's very cool. And I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. And so thank you for, thank you for doing it. Well, thank you so much. That's amazing. Okay. Well, let's dive into some of this, some of the good here. I mean, there's so much, but really, I mean, you kind of touched on this already, but what, let's just, let's start with like, People, we've said the word vital sign multiple times. So maybe we can just kind of knock that out right out right out of the gate here. So what is a vital sign? And why should we consider the mental cycle to be one? Yeah, let's start there. For sure, for sure. A vital sign simply is something that it's a measure of how our body is functioning. And the most common vital signs that we're familiar with include our body temperature, our heart rate, our blood pressure, the number of times that we are breathing per minute. And those, I mean, if you think about any of those common vital signs, if you were to go to your doctor and your doctor was to measure those things, you know, it not only gives your doctor some general information, you know, that you're doing okay or, or what have you, but if you look at any specific one of those vital signs, let's say if your blood pressure is too high, it not only tells the doctor that something's up, but more specifically, it gives your doctor a bit of a roadmap because uh, your doctor would know that there's certain things that could raise the blood pressure. So when we're seeing this particular sign being you know, off, it gives us a kind of a roadmap of where to go and what to look for, for, for what could be wrong. And the, the menstrual cycle can be used in much the same way, which is uh, really interesting. It's one of those things where if you've never thought about it that way, as soon as you're, you know, as soon as it's brought to your attention, it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. 
And so when I talk about the menstrual cycle, often people think period only, and the period obviously is a part of the menstrual cycle, but we can look at the menstrual cycle and its parts. So we can look at the period, you know, how much you're bleeding, if there's pain, how long it's lasting, you know, all of those kinds of things. But we can also look at the total length of your menstrual cycle. We can look at the first half of your menstrual cycle as you approach ovulation, what that looks like. We can look at your cervical mucus patterns and see if they're normal. And, you know, cervical mucus is obviously what you produce as you approach ovulation. And that's what keeps the sperm alive for five days. And it plays a really crucial role in fertility. But, I mean, you can also look at it and detect something as, as, as straightforward as a yeast infection if your cervical mucus patterns are off. And then we can also look at the second half of the cycle after ovulation. And, you know, if you know how long that's supposed to be and what it represents, it's a reflection of your progesterone production, how strong that is. You can really gather a lot about your cycle, your hormones, and also general health just by paying attention. So I think that it's really interesting. Also, what you said, you know, when we first spoke, you were in a season where you were trying to conceive. So you were looking at this information in a certain way, but it still applies once you're in a separate season. And so I'm in a similar season. I just had my first daughter. So I have two sons and a daughter. My my eldest son is 11. My middle son is eight. And my daughter is 17 months. And we are done also. I think that <laughs> off. <laughs> that off. And, <laughs> yeah, my husband is, I mean, for years, he, I would ask him like on the intention scale, you know, we do, I do this with my clients, like, where are you from zero to 10? Like zero, you don't want any babies right now. 10, you're probably already trying. For years, he was like a two <laughs> because we had two busy boys and, you know, and and then during the COVID, he surprised me when I asked him and he was like eight. And I was like, eight? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, go type. But yeah, so now that, you know, you and I are in a similar season, right, past that actively trying to conceive, it's still relevant because as I move into, I'm not sure exactly your age, but as I move into my 40s, I'm 41 at this point, things, it really becomes important kind of in a different way to maintain a healthy cycle and hormone balance because it can be more challenging as you approach menopause. So kind of going on a little bit, but hopefully that answers the question about the vital sign piece. Yes, absolutely. And that's very helpful. <clears throat> and, you know, even though I've kind of, been, I've been following and like, I, I understand it on some level, just re reiterating it and hearing it again is a good reminder for me because sometimes, you know, it takes me a long time to get my period back. Postpartum, I nurse for pretty extended times and like just stopped night nursing my two-year-old and it just takes a while for me but that doesn't mean what I'm learning more and more is that doesn't mean just because I don't have an actual period like I'm not bleeding doesn't mean that I don't have still have signs of that sign and so just mm -hmm. tuning in even more in depth to that it's just it's so powerful and it just slows us down so many of us are just on the go non-stop and when we can remember the importance of our vital signs to tune into them and listen to them it just it can be pretty game-changing so <clears throat> thank you for that and then so it's this vital sign, and this is kind of a, a loaded question, but what what should we so what should we be looking for? So what does a normal healthy menstrual cycle look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I just kind of walked through the different steps of the menstrual cycle. So I'll kind of start at the period. So I mean, in a healthy cycle, I mean, to start off with, one of the questions I get is like, what do we consider the first day of our period? So your period starts the first day of your true flow. So if you, it's not uncommon for women to have, you know, maybe some spotting or something like that before their period starts. But when you have that first day of true flow, you have to use something to collect your bleeding. We would start there. So a healthy period is lasts somewhere between three to seven days. 
the average is about five days or so. And I always say a period should be like a sentence. It should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then it should be over. So a healthy period typically starts moderate to heavy, and then you'll have the, that active bleeding phase, and then it starts to taper off kind of like you're closing a tap. And ideally, it would then come to you know a conclusion. And ideally, a healthy period, you wouldn't have a whole lot of pain. So some pain, obviously, what's happening when you're having a period is that you're shedding the functional layer of your endometrium. So in that process, there is naturally some inflammation and, you know, some cell death as this lining is shed. But beyond mild to moderate, I would say even moderate pain, we should consider as, as a sign of inflammation, at least. We should really be looking at pain not as just normal, even though it's quite common, obviously, we should be looking at it as as a potential sign that there's something more we could do to reduce that inflammation or that something isn't going as optimally as it could go. In terms of the bleeding itself, the volume, a normal healthy period is somewhere between you know 25 to 80 mils of, of bleeding, which is somewhere between one to, to three ounces. And obviously women do bleed more than that or less than that. So there is a huge range of how much women actually bleed. But when we're getting over that 80 milliliter mark, that, that tends to come with some potential challenges from, you know, deficient iron deficiency, or it could be a sign of something like fibroids or something like that. So, so I mean, that is kind of a, a very brief overview of, of what a healthy period would look, look like. And I could also mention that, although it's really normal to have some clotting, if you are noticing a lot of clots, or if you're noticing that, actually, I had a client yesterday, and she... So in my practice, we do all the things. So she was actually sharing some pictures, which I welcome. So because sometimes it helps to explain things. And she was showing like bleeding that was like crushed blueberries. Mm -hmm. And so although that can happen, that's not optimal. And we want to uh, do what we can to see if we can improve that. So once we move through the period, what's happening at that stage of your cycle is that your ovaries are starting to prepare for ovulation. So at that stage of your cycle, your follicles are starting to develop and a group of follicles starts to develop and eventually one is chosen to for ovulation and that one follicle ends up growing and producing lots of estrogen and so that's how we can characterize that first half of the cycle the pre-ovulatory phase and so what's normal for that phase is it is normal after the period to have a couple of days that we would call dry days before you start to see your cervical mucus so for anybody who was charting or paying attention to their mucus or anything like that, if you were actively trying to conceive or, you know, if you, you know, depending on your, your fertility journey, you may have observed that cervical fluid and it can look like clear, raw, stretchy egg whites. It can look like creamy white hand lotion. So in a normal healthy cycle, we would expect to have cervical fluid for, you know, anywhere from two to seven days. That's kind of what we'd see on average. And that would lead up to ovulation. So in a healthy cycle, ovulation has to happen. And the overall length of a normal cycle falls somewhere between 24 and 35 days. And in order for you to have a cycle that long, ovulation would have to happen somewhere between cycle days 10 and let's say day 22. So ovulation has to happen in order for the cycle to be normal. We would want it to happen kind of promptly in order for the cycle length to be normal. And then once you've ovulated, we would expect the cervical fluid to stop, to dry up. And this is related to hormones. We're predominantly producing estrogen during that pre-ovulatory phase. And then once we ovulate, we're producing progesterone. 
And progesterone has the effect of raising our body temperature. That's where the basal body temperature charting comes in. If anyone's ever tracked their temperature, it, it goes up after ovulation, and that's a way we can confirm ovulation. And progesterone also shuts down that cervical fluid production. So in a typical, normal, healthy cycle, we would see the cervical mucus kind of stop, and we would again call those dry days post-ovulation. And then when you have a healthy cycle, you're making enough progesterone to have a full second half of your cycle, what's also referred to as the post-ovulatory phase or the luteal phase. So in a healthy cycle, we would expect that post-ovulatory phase to last for anywhere from about 12 to 14 days. And that's a sign of you know good progesterone production. When we have either a shorter luteal phase or post-ovulatory phase, like when it's not that full 12 to 14 days, or when you start to see several days of spotting before your period starts, or when you start to have more PMS symptoms, more pronounced, kind of more moderate to severe, those can all be signs of low progesterone. And so just by going through that general kind of overview of the cycle, you can see that there's lots of different parts to the cycle. And so when we kind of get into the weeds by looking at these different aspects of the cycle, when we understand what was would be normal, what the normal range would be for all of these different signs, it should be clear that there's a lot of different pieces of information we can gather about our health, about our fertility. And this is kind of how we use the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. So we're using it as this fifth vital sign and the sign word there obviously is a sign of our vitality and health. So what are some, we, we know what to look for when our, to now like, what are we looking for with our cycle, with the way that our blood looks, with the way that we're feeling all of that? What are the indicators of that sign? And then what then are the impacts of having a vital sign, like having that sign be vital and all those things kind of coming in, coming together? What can we expect as women and the other components of our life. How are we going to feel? How is that going to play out from a healthy vital sign to like a healthy human in life? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a great question. I would say the way that I look at the the cycle is a reflection of what's going on. So, you know, we don't have a little secretary inside that can be like, okay, your progesterone's a little low today. And, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so the the way that I've interacted with my cycle over the past couple of you know, decades and the way that I've taught my clients and and practitioners now is that, you know, when we get to the stage where we are charting and we understand what's going on and we can kind of see what happens is it's like we're in a bit of a dance with our cycles. And so if I give an example, so 2023, so last year was for myself, there was lots of things going on. There was just so many things. There was the book, but I also have the baby. I had a sick parent. Like there was just a lot of things going on. And so I did have a cycle, two cycles actually, that were kind of really uncharacteristic. So I've, you know, been in this conversation for years and I have, my cycles have normalized quite a bit. When I first started charting in my 20s, my cycles were long and they weren't necessarily irregular per se, but they were on the longer end and et cetera. So over the years, I was able to normalize and things like that. But during times of stress, um, I was traveling a lot. You know, I was, uh, there was a, a couple of weeks where I was traveling and the place I was at, the food was very different to what I was normally eating. Super low protein, more on the vegetarian side, actually, of the options that I had to, to eat. And that's just not typical for me. And the, between the travel, the stress and the dietary changes, I had one cycle that was quite long. It was something like 46 days or something like that. And then during a, a different period of stress, for the first time in my charting history, I had several days of spotting before my period, which again, isn't uncommon, but for me, it wasn't very typical. 
So your question of like, how would you feel if everything's working out? It's, it's always this reflection back and forth. In my case, when my cycles were off, it reflected that all of the stress and the, the, the travel and the this and the that and whatever. And then once my cycle was like, once I saw that, <laughs> because for me, when I talk about it as a vital sign, as a personal vital sign for your own self, I have, and I try to teach my clients to take that as information. So I don't look at it as like, oh, my body's broken now. You know, I look at it like, okay, my body is telling me like, this is enough. Like you mm-hmm. need to get back on track. And so during those times of stress, when I could see what was happening in my cycle, it was a sign for me to get back on my routine, make sure that I'm back um, on my sleep routine, make sure that I'm prioritizing my diet, getting enough protein, making sure that I'm, you know, I, I take certain supplements to support progesterone production or whatever it is just to get back on my routine. So, you know, to, long story long, when your menstrual cycle is healthy, when your vital sign is in line, you would expect to feel great. You would expect to have good energy. You would expect to not have a whole bunch of cycle complaints. I'm not ever um, aiming for perfection. That's not what we're trying to do, uh, what, even when you're charting your cycle in a really detailed way. But you you would expect to have you know minimal complaints with regards to your period. If you have that under control, you, you may have some discomfort. You may have a few things going on, but you would expect to for it to be completely manageable and for it not to really be an issue. You wouldn't expect to have, you know, overly heavy periods. You wouldn't expect to have overly painful periods. You wouldn't expect to have irregular periods. Like, right, you would expect Mm -hmm. to have um, a relatively manageable situation there. You wouldn't expect to have a cycle that varies a ton. So a normal uh, menstrual cycle doesn't vary more than eight days from cycle to cycle. So it's not always going to be exactly 28 days or anything, but you would expect it to be relatively stable. You wouldn't expect to have like outraging PMS symptoms. You wouldn't expect to have abnormal bleeding where you just, you're bleeding middle of the cycle and you just never know what's going on. So in terms of the cycle complaints, when your menstrual, when your, your vital sign is on point, you would expect that to kind of be going evenly, even keel. But in terms of how you would feel in terms of your vitality, you would expect to have energy. You know, you wake up with energy. You would expect to sleep well, right? Like your overall, when your cycle is healthy, it is reflecting back to you that your body is functioning optimally. Hi, friends. Laura and Jess here to chat with you about our favorite new oral care products by Wellness, a phenomenal company that we are so proud to be partnering with. Wellness, a B Corporation, was co-founded by Katie Wells of Wellness Mama after years of struggling to find safer and non-toxic products for her family. Wellness has quite a product lineup, but today we want to chat about their oral care products, all fluoride-free. Fluoride has been extensively researched and linked to potential negative side effects like hormone disruptors, acne, oral microbiome dysregulation, blood pressure issues, and more. And did you know that every toothpaste with fluoride sold in the U.S. is required to have a poison warning on the tube? Yikes. Whoa, not cool. You know what is cool, though? Wellness is not only fluoride-free, but they also use a substance called Microhydroxyapatite. It's a big word. In their, product, <laughs> in their products, that is an all-natural substance that can replace fluoride and works to strengthen your teeth naturally and safely. Barry and Kami are loving the Strawberry Kids toothpaste, and Tim and I cannot believe how effective the whitening toothpaste has been in such a short amount of time. I need to see some before and afters. I'll take some. 
<laughs> if you want to check out their offerings, everything from toothpaste to deodorant to shampoo and more, we've got you covered. Wellness is offering our listeners a special 15% off discount that will be automatically applied when you shop through our unique link at www.wellness.com forward slash discount forward slash modern mama. We hope you love their products just as much as we do. And so like mood throughout the month, better libido. I mean, that's, I think that's on a lot of our listeners' minds. I'm sure that would impact that desire. Absolutely. I mean, when you have your cycle is optimal, your hormones are balanced and Mm -hmm. and flowing, you would expect to have, you know, just the right amount of estrogen. So you wouldn't expect to have like way too much and for it to be causing problems. You wouldn't expect for your liver to be having trouble processing it and breaking it down. So you end up with, you know, estrogen sticking around and causing problems, right? You would Mm -hmm. expect to have the right amount of estrogen, not too little, not too much, a good, your body is functioning well. So you're flushing out any excess estrogen, you're breaking them down through the appropriate pathways so that it's not causing problematic metabolites that are coming around to, to give you, you know, terrible symptoms. You wouldn't expect to have weird stuff happen mid-cycle, like histamine reactions that are related mm. to your period and things like that. So so absolutely, you you would expect to have a healthy libido because when you're having your natural estrogen, testosterone, progesterone through the you know, through the cycle unimpeded, then absolutely. And you know, one of the things I talk about a lot is the the hormonal birth control pill and some of the effects. And I think that's just an interesting parallel to to talk about libido because you know, when you're on the pill, it shuts down that ovarian hormone production. So you're not making your natural estrogen, progesterone, testosterone in sufficient amounts. And the pill profoundly lowers testosterone. So when you are cycling normally, when your ovaries are pumping out just the right amount of hormones, you've got good testosterone, it's not too high, right? It's not causing all these problems, but it's just the right amount. Yes, absolutely. You expect to have good libido and good energy and all those things. Love it. Because just like you don't just want a healthy menstrual cycle when you're in fertility, when you're going to have a baby, you also don't, I know personally, I don't just have sex to have a baby. <laughs> so it's nice <laughs> to have all of that in our, in our mix together. Very cool. Okay. So we've talked now about the fifth vital sign and what we're looking for and how it can impact our lives. You know, even Sans trying to conceive, because I know we're both in that space, so it is relevant to us. But then I know we also have a lot of listeners who maybe are in the process of trying to conceive or are considering their preconception state. And I mean, I've, I haven't had a chance to read the entire book, but I did have a chance to get in there and like look through it and skim and read some of it. And I love the way that it all comes together really on just like, I love the name, first of all, Real Food, Lily, obviously from Real Food for Pregnancy. And then we have the fertility component from you. So I want to touch now a little bit more on the fertility component. And now we are, let's, we're shifting gears here. Yes, fertility, vitality, important in all seasons of life, but also a lot of y'all listening are, are seeking this next step of preconception. And so kind of from early on, now we're, we're looking at, I think one misconception that is out there, and you probably with your practice have seen this a ton where people are like, okay, I'm ready. I want to get pregnant tomorrow. Let's start. And so if we were going to go kind of cyclically in here, there's never, it's never too late to start to dive into this. But let's say you're like, okay, 2025, I want to have a baby. So I don't even need to think about it right now. Accurate or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, opt- ideally, I would say no. I, w- I would say we plan for so many things. One of the mm-hmm. things I realized just by going through the interesting processes of life is that we do plan for our weddings and 
baby showers. Like these are things that we're often planning, you know, six, 12, even more uh, months ahead of time. But I think because of the way our, our culture looks at pregnancy, I think that a lot of it is that we spend a lot of our early years actively avoiding pregnancy. And in, in that mindset, we are taking it as a given for granted that it's going to happen. And even like it's a domestic terrorist that we're actively trying to, to prevent, right? And so with that mindset, I think does come a little bit of we're taking this for granted and assuming it's just going to happen. Like it's a definite like, oh my gosh, I need to. And I am not like we we do need to act actively have contraceptive options. So by no means am I saying that that's not true to some extent. But what is left out of that conversation is how our fertility changes with age and how, you know, when we are ready to conceive, it's if we think about what we truly want, it's not just to get pregnant. We want to have a healthy baby. We want to have a healthy pregnancy. We want when that baby arrives for us to have the energy and vitality to take care of the baby. And often we're waiting for that right time to start our families. And then it's not just one baby we want. Often we have one baby and we quickly want to have a second baby. So with all of these things in mind, if you are thinking, okay, 2025 is the year, my partner and I are going to start trying for a baby, then absolutely we recommend have strongly in the book to think about that pre-conception timeframe. That's essentially why we wrote the book. We want to create that runway so that you have specific evidence-based tools, strategies, nutritional plans, fertility awareness charting information so that you can really set yourself up for success and not, again, just to get pregnant, which we want for you when you're ready. We also want you to have a healthy baby. We want you to have a healthy pregnancy. And we want you to be able to set yourself up for, you know, that next baby. Because as you know, so many, we wait and wait and wait until everything is right, until the stars aligned, until we have the partner, we have the, the, the job, we have whatever we need to have in order for to feel comfortable to have a child. But then it's often like, bang, 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 we want to have, not everybody, but I think you know what I mean, right? And if we're not set up and we're not nutritionally prepared, it can it can be difficult. Parenting is difficult in the best of times. You have a two-year-old, I have a 17-month-old. There's often years where sleep isn't optimal, where your nutrition might not be the greatest if you're prioritizing your children and you're eating their scraps. I know I used to say like, half of my diet comes from their scraps, right? <laughs> And so if if you set yourself up nutritionally prior to pregnancy, if you have that knowledge and information, if you understand how important the menstrual cycle is and that it's a reflection of your health and fertility, and you give yourself a bit of space. So not only the preconception nutrition piece, which is crucial, but we also talk a little bit about making a choice, choosing what birth control options you're going to use in that year before pregnancy. So I strongly recommend that we start reconsidering our use of hormonal birth control a minimum of six to 12 months prior to when we're starting to conceive. So I actively encourage women to think about, okay, so if you know that you want a baby in this time frame, you know, can we start thinking about a non-hormonal option so that you can give your cycles a chance to rest, a chance to recover, but more importantly, so that if a lot of women were put on the pill for cycle problems. So if you were put on the pill for like, you know, a, a regular cycle or you didn't have cycles or you had super, super painful periods that were completely unmanageable, that would put you into a category where it's it's more possible that if you come off the pill, you might have a delay 
in ovulation to getting your fertility back and things. And so just having that mindset of, okay, maybe I should come off a little bit earlier. Let me see what's happening in my cycles. Let me have a backup non-hormonal birth control plan for a period of time so my cycles can normalize and things like that so that I can prepare for the season where I want to have babies. That is, I mean, when I say it, it's sound advice, but it's not always something that we're taught, told. It's not something that we're we're always considering to do. I love it. Okay. Awesome. And you talked about partner. So before I want to dive more into female and the the mom and nutrition and fertility and all that, but also dad matters. I imagine from everything from lifestyle, which I guess includes nutrition. And and I think so much of it falls on our shoulders when something is things aren't happening as quickly as we want or, or whatnot. But before we dive more into fifth vital sign and periods and menstrual cycles and fertility for us, can you just touch on on the guy just in case someone's like, I'm doing everything right. It's not happening. There is another whole partner involved. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up. And when I am working with clients and practitioners, before I even talk about egg quality, I jump in and kind of put the men on blast <laughs> and talk about uh, sperm quality because you're absolutely right. The The burden of fertility conception, you know, preparation tends to fall on us. And it's because we have the visible evidence of conception. We're the ones that carry the babies. We're the ones that birth the babies. We're the ones that breastfeed the babies. So Obviously, it's completely up to us, right? But Mm -hmm. it is wild when you look at the research around fertility. And so I think that a couple of stats are really useful here. You know, male infertility, male factor infertility is responsible solely for 20 to 30% of infertility cases. And it is a contributing factor 50% of the time. So half of the time that a couple is struggling with fertility issues, it, it's not to say it's always like, we're not saying his fault, right? But we're saying that his the male factor is a contributing factor. And even if I say that, I think many of us might still like, uh, I've worked with women for decades and, and we still really think it's us. <laughs> and so I think that what what's also really interesting is when I was looking at the research, there's all, you know, there's different ways to look at all the things. So there's different studies and there's different ways that they kind of look at information. But one of the interesting t- ways that they look at information is if you take a group of couples who have been trying to conceive for one year or more without uh, success or two years or more without success, if you look at the semen parameters of the men in those groups of, of couples who've been trying without success, and you compare it to the men in the, the, the groups of couples who were able to successfully conceive within one year, let's say, you will always find that the average parameters of those men are quite a bit lower. So from a statistical standpoint, if you have been trying to conceive for a year or more, or two years or more, for example, without success, Statistically, it's just not as likely that his sperm is perfect. Mm. And this is what I found. So it doesn't mean all parameters are totally off and, you know, but I that's a, a really important piece. So after working with couples in, in this way for a long time, when you have a couple who's been trying to succeed on, on trying to conceive unsuccessfully for quite some time, when his sperm is analyzed, and this is something that's really important as well, is even if you were told he was fine, fine is my least favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to like go to war with the word fine because everyone's fine. Oh, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. 
But what I found systematically across the board is that I still to this day have not had one client whose doctor did a semen analysis and sat down with them and went through all of the main parameters, explained what they meant and told them, just just provided them with that information. So when I'm, if I just give an example, you know, let's say I have a couple who or you know, I always, I work with the, the woman, but, you know, have a couple trying to conceive for, you know, two years, it hasn't been happening. She's coming to me. She wants to know what's wrong with her, what's wrong with her cycle. So we're diving into her cycle in, in a ton of detail. We're charting. We're looking at all the factors that I shared with you. We're gathering what we can, what we can about her hormonal health and things like that. We're looking at, you know, all the factors. But of course, I'm putting the man on blast, like I said, because there's no man alive that's so healthy that he can't even benefit from a multivitamin. <laughs> so, you know, if he's open to having his semen analyzed and we're looking at it, I often hear, yeah, we were told he was fine. And I say, okay, great. Can I see, <laughs> can I see the semen analysis? And then we look at it together and we look at the factors. We look at the motility. So they have a number of the percentage of sperm that are motile. And it's really, this whole semen analysis stuff is really interesting because there's a percentage of sperm that are motile, meaning they move at all. And then there's the percentage of sperm that are have forward progression so that actually swim forward. And I find that even to be interesting because that, that means some of them are kind of just twitching, hanging out, and then others are moving forward, right? Percentage vitality, that means how many are alive. And to me, that that kind of stopped me in my tracks when I'm looking at that because it means there's a percentage of the the semen in the in, in the ejaculate that are literally dead. We have the morphology, which is, you know, when they look at the sperm, like do they appear normal? Because there is a normal shape, and and in the book, I I did a, a representation of some of those images of abnormal sperm and. The, morph- the morphology number is really interesting because what is considered normal from the World Health Organization, and then I'm kind of, I'll just, we have the motility morphology, and then we have the sperm count, and they're usually, usually looking at the concentration. So what's considered normal through the World Health Organization is 4% mor- morphology, 40% motility. And for sperm numbers, you know, they're looking at... 15 million sperm per milliliter, which is considered normal. So this is a whole thing that I could go on for about, you know, half an hour. So I'll keep it brief. But one of the things that I often share with my clients is that, you know, because that morphology number is 4%, what that means is that if you had 100 sperm, four of them would appear, you know, visually normal, you know, have like a normal round head and a tail, like what we think of as a sperm. And 96% of them would look really weird. And so when I'm actually with clients, I have, there's the 2010 World Health Organization document where all this information comes from. I actually show them from that document images where they they actually dyed the sperm and took pictures of them with the microscope and they put them in there to show the difference between normal and abnormal sperm. And I show them the picture and I'm like 96% of them look like this. And that stops them in their tracks because all of a sudden we're seeing what these numbers really mean. So what's interesting about human ma- males is that when even when you're reading the studies, you know, the, the 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 researchers will say, like, compared to other animals, you know, human men, for whatever reason, do have kind of poor parameters. 
because a lot of animals in the animal kingdom don't have sperm parameters that low. So the healthiest man alive tends to, to not have more than like a 50% morphology kind of thing. But when you really start to think of what that means, we and, and in terms of the concentration, so 15 million sperm per milliliter, it might actually sound like a big number, but in, let's say, the 40s, so, you know, many years ago, the average man had, you know, like 100 million sperm per milliliter. And you can just see that by looking at old studies. So we have a lot of things happening here with the male factor. And not all. Of, it's not necessarily a this is your partner's fault situation. We do have a general t- trend in men that's going down. So there's all of these population studies where they're looking at semen parameters over decades and since the 40s, we've seen a very clear decline. And so the average man, like I said, in the 40s had over 100 million sperm per milliliter. And today, the average man has somewhere around 50 million sperm per milliliter. So we're seeing a drop in the number of sperm. We're seeing a drop in the quality of sperm. And I think the biggest takeaway from what I'm saying here for anyone who's trying to conceive is that, you know, there's there's a couple things. One, if you've been trying for a while, if statistically... There, it's likely that at least one of those parameters on his end are off. And the longer you wait to do the semen analysis, the longer it takes to kind of start rectifying that. It takes about three months for men to make sperm. So if your partner is ejaculating today, count back three months and think to yourself, okay, so whatever he's you know spitting out today is a reflection of what he was doing three months ago. So if you're wanting to change that, what I've observed is that you want to start right now And the results of whatever changes that you make, you're going to start to see in the next three to six months or more. Because it's not this, if you're going for the natural route, improving your nutrition, you know, targeted supplementation to support, you know, improvement in his sperm numbers and and quality and things. It's not something that happens magically at a snap of your fingers. It does take several months in order for you to start to see the benefits of that. So for, like I said, I could talk about the sperm part for (laughs) like hours, but the takeaway I want you to take is that this is a real issue and it's beyond just your partner. Because as I said, there's a whole situation where overall, the overall sperm numbers and quality have been declining for a while. So this is a bigger issue, I think, than most people consider. And the reason that I ended up down the rabbit hole is because I teach women to chart their cycles and I've been charting my cycles for years. And when I was in my early 20s, you know, I used fertility awareness as birth control. And so I was actively, you know, avoiding pregnancy and terrified, like, you know, stay over there, right? Like, I don't want you to even be anywhere near me because, of course, I don't want to have unprotected sex in the window because I'm going to get pregnant. So you can imagine my surprise when I started working with couples and women who are trying to conceive and they're having sex at the right time, cycle after cycle after cycle. They're having unprotected sex in the window over and over and over again and nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. So I had to ask myself, well, what is what is the deal? Because I was terrified for my entire you know 20s when I was not trying to conceive of pregnancy and I did everything to avoid exposure at all, you know, and here you are having unprotected so hard yeah and nothing's happening so I had to start asking like what is going on here and it turns out that you know male factor is huge as a part of this conversation hello friends it's Jess here I need to talk to you about something that's so near and dear to my heart nutrition for mamas and women in their childbearing years when I was deep in my conception and preconception planning years 
One of the hardest things to navigate was finding high quality vitamins and supplements to support a healthy pregnancy and postpartum experience. There is so much misinformation and false claims out there, and it makes it so hard to know who to trust with your health, which is why I am just over the moon happy to be partnering with Needed, a company not only providing radically better nutrition products, but also advocating for better maternal and infant health outcomes through their dedicated research and clinical study. And we're thrilled to be able to offer you 20% off your first month by visiting thisisneeded.com and using the code MODERNMAMAS at checkout. The amazing thing is that not only is Needed a one-stop shop for all your prenatal vitamin needs, they also have complete plans for your fourth trimester needs and beyond. I just turned 40 this year, whoop, and I'm so excited to be using their women's health plan, which includes a multivitamin, omega-3 plus, and stress support, which helps maintain optimal hormonal balance, thyroid and metabolic health, a healthy stress response, focus and mood support, a healthy immune response, and contributes to your overall energy, beauty, and vitality. Okay, I don't know about you, but with the 2023 I had, this is all much needed. Why don't we all start 2024 with the ultimate goal of nurturing ourselves the best we can? And one easy way to do this is by being consistent with high quality supplementation. You can check out Needed and get 20% off your first month by visiting thisisneeded.com and using the code MODERNMAMAS at checkout. Let's make this the year of you, friend, with radically better nutrition. You got to have some onus on that, guys. <laughs> I love it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, seriously. Okay, well, now I just want to, I want to make sure that we take some time to talk about the newest book because it's absolutely brilliant. I just, I'm in awe and the way that it all comes together because there's a lot of, you know, we, on the last episode, we talked a lot about so if you if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 86. We talk more about like cycle tracking and using you know, skipping the hormonal birth control in favor of potentially using more of like cycle tracking and that kind of thing, like you were just talking about. Finding your window, having sex then or not, you know, whatever it is or whatever your method is for protection during those peak times. But now I want to dive a little bit more into the nutrition component and other things we can do besides you know, hormones or meds or that kind of thing when it just comes to like basic nutrition. And I preface this with go get the book. <laughs> There's so much nuance to this, but just kind of like an overarching, as we round out the episode, an overarching idea of what does this book dive into? Who is it for? How can it help? And how does nutrition play in? Mm-hmm. Such a great question. So in many ways, this book feels like two books in one book because the first several chapters of the book are truly Lily's nutritional genius. We go through in extensive detail, you know, why preconception nutrient stores matter, how having a, a specific period of time where we're focused on preconception nutrition is really setting the stage for a healthy pregnancy. We talk about specific foods that support fertility. And it's not this fluffy thing where we're just saying like, eat this and eat that and take this supplement because we're really going into the research behind it. So looking deeper at, you know, why, you know, we should be incorporating specific foods, why we should be, you know, and we talk about ancestral nutrition, we talk about, um, you know, some of the foods include eggs and liver and organ meats. Anyone who who knows me knows I'm always talking about liver because it's like nature's multivitamin you know, the importance of fish and seafood. And, and then we get into the different nutritional components. We talk about macronutrient ratios, balancing blood sugar, the importance of getting sufficient protein. So it really, if you're looking for that evidence-based specific 
planned for how we can optimize our nutrition going into um, pregnancy during those preconception phases. That is really a huge, huge part of the book. There's, I'm, I'm trying to kind of sum it up because there's a whole lot that we talk about, as you know, we talk about what foods are optimal for fertility, what foods are not so great for fertility, like things to stay away from. And then we get into the the practical aspect of conception and how the menstrual cycle fits into it. So we talk about what a healthy menstrual cycle looks like, how the nutrition plays a role in supporting hormone health. We talk about strategies for conception. So we go into the specifics of, you know, timing sex correctly, how much sex you should be having. Mm -hmm. Like, should you, do you need to have sex five times a day or do you, you know what I mean? So we talk about how to use that fertility awareness component to the max to really optimize your chances of conception. We get into egg and sperm qualities. Those are two huge chapters that we go into a ton of research and detail. Uh, We talk about some of the common fertility testing and how it plays into it, ovarian reserve testing. So we really get into just the weeds on on those details. We also get into some of the most common menstrual cycle complaints. So we have a chapter on polycystic ovary syndrome with an extensive nutritional section. Obviously, Lily jumped in and shared what we can do, nutritional strategies to really minimize the negative effects of PCOS. And and we we get into that quite a bit. And also the nuances of timing concept, like timing for conception when your cycles are not quote, you know, regular. So we get into that a lot. We get into hypothalamic amenorrhea and the road to recovery from HA. So if you're, you know, not having a period at all, we talk about how to bring it back. And we get into a number of other common menstrual cycle issues from thyroid issues to gut health to endometriosis, fibroids, or current miscarriage. Like there's 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 a ton. We also talk about toxins and this whole concept of, you know, prior to pregnancy, thinking about what we might have been exposed to, what we might have on board, and looking to kind of cleanse that and improve our fertility that way. So it's really extensive, it's comprehensive, it's approachable. And it's intended for someone at any point in their fertility journey who's really looking at optimizing their their cycle. I love it. I am. I have my copy, but I want to buy. I have it, you know, virtually. But I cannot wait to get my hands on it, open it up, and take in the this combo of wisdom that I just. I feel like the world needed you two to partner up, and I'm so grateful that you did. And I can't wait to, like I said, get my hands on it, share with the world. When is the official release date? So we're releasing the book on Valentine's Day, which is really exciting. Right. Oh, and that's perfect um, timing. Yeah, that was that was Lily's idea. I'm th- like I, I think that yeah, that, that was all Lily, and I was like, that's a great idea. But I probably would have just been like, just release it when it's done. Yeah, today. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think Valentine's Day is the the perfect day to to release it. And so for anyone who's listening, you can find more details about the book at Real Food for Fertility. .com. It'll be available on Amazon and we, you know, to be announced if there's other, you know, locations where you can find the book as well. And because I know Lily has a, a shop on her website for Real Food for Pregnancy. So we may be looking at some options in the future, but you can get the first chapter for free if you go to realfoodforfertility.com. And, and for anyone, you know, one of the things that I've been working on as well is in my practice, when I first started, I was always training women to chart their cycles on an individual basis. 
as time progressed, I just kept getting questions from women's health practitioners. You know, I want to teach my clients this as well. So, so just as a side note for any women's health practitioners who are listening, I've created a really interesting resource for them as well that I wanted to share. I created an ebook called How to Interpret Virtually Any Chart That Your Client Throws at You. And so mm. for anyone who's really wanting to go into the weeds of how to bring this knowledge to their clients, you can head over to fertilityfriday.com slash chart for more details on how to do that. Cool. I'll add that to the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, any like final words, if you were to leave us with a final word of wisdom or just a takeaway to leave us with the tinglies as we sign off here, what what's just that one little thing? It could be simple. I feel like that was kind of a loaded question to round out. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, absolutely. I would just say that wherever you are on your fertility journey, know that there's always things that you can do to improve and to optimize. There's always more to learn. You know, one of the hopes that that we have with the work that we do is to empower women so that we can, I, I suppose you can look at it like I have car insurance, but I don't expect to have an accident. Mm. So we don't expect to have fertility challenges. And when we are able to follow a wonderful preconception strategy, when we're able to understand the, the importance of having a healthy menstrual cycle and really work towards that aim, then we are lessening our chance. Of, of needing to have to, you know, use those medical interventions that maybe we were not wanting to do right off the bat. So I think, I don't know how profound that is, but that's certainly a really important piece of, of the message I want to share. I love it so much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for doing the work that you do and making a difference. I really appreciate it. And I hope that this year is wonderful. You're off to a solid start. As, as you all are listening, the book is live and ready. So go get it, read it, <laughs> share it, gift it. <laughs> It's the one. So thank you so much again for your time and happy, happy new year. Thank you so much for having me. This was of so course. great. Of course. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week. I don't know what to say. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Bye.